Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Have you always felt a little odd, a little different? The world is crying out for witches to heal and to rebuild. But do you hear its call and will you answer? This is a space for free thinking, where I give you tools to explore and build your craft. We all have a divine spark. Join me each week and grow that spark into a fiery beacon. I am your host, Michael Moorcroft, and I'll be bringing you a one-on-one guide to all things witchcraft and spirituality. This is The Major's Well. Hey, Majors. Welcome back to the show. A lot has happened since I last spoke to you. I have moved away from the Isle of Man. I'm in Manchester, and last week I moved into a really beautiful house that very much feels like home. I've also got a nice little side job, so yeah, things are working out nicely. I feel a lot calmer and happier, and there's been a lot of weird synchronicities while I've been here, so yeah, things are going well. I'm not ready to come back full-time yet uh, with the podcast. But we're getting there, we're getting there. I'm thinking that the next episode will be on Lamas, and that's going to air on the 19th of July, so just bear that date in mind. But this week, we're actually going to look into Letha. But before we do, let's see what's coming up. So, from the 17th to the 15th of June, this was when the festival of Vestalia honouring Vesta, the goddess of the hearth and home, was held. It was a time of purification and protection for the city of Rome. We've also got Love Your Burial Ground Week, which is from June 3rd to June 11th. Take a walk around your local burial ground, and if you want to learn more of the history, folklore, customs, and magic around them, I've recently covered this in my episode called Burial Grounds, Graveyards, and Cemeteries, Oh My. 
June 8th, World Oceans Day, a day to raise awareness about the importance of preserving and protecting our oceans. June 9th, Feast of St. Columba, commemorating the saint who was an Irish abbot and missionary. On June 9th, we've got the Feast of Epona, a celebration in honour of the Gaelic goddess associated with horses, fertility and abundance. I have spoken about her on the show previously, I think it was in the Sagittarius episode. So the Romans also honoured this deity, which is interesting, because she's one of the few Gaelic deities who the Romans actually adopted. And no one's sure where the 9th of June date comes from, but it seems to be a thing. June 11th is Making Life Beautiful Day, a day dedicated to doing acts of kindness and just generally trying to make the world a more beautiful place to be. June 12th is Loving Day and it celebrates the Supreme Court's decision to legalise interracial marriage within the United States, promoting love and inclusivity. June 13th is the Feast of St. Anthony of Padua, a Christian feast day honouring St. Anthony, known as the patron saint of lost items and the poor. And that's your week. Now, on to the show. Marking Midsummer and the Summer Solstice, we have Letha, also known as St. John's Day. Falling in the Northern Hemisphere around June 20th to the 22nd, this year it's on the 21st. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, it's December 20th to the 22nd, which corresponds to the summer solstice in that region. Letha is also a quarter day. Now, quarter days are events that mark a new quarter of the year. Traditionally, these days were when servants were hired, school terms started, rents were due, and debts were paid. Letha also marks the midpoint of the growing season, halfway between planting and harvest, and represents the peak of the sun's power, as it's the longest day of the year. It's a time when the Earth's magical powers are at their peak. The sun is at its zenith, however, the zodiac has entered the sign of Cancer, which is ruled by the moon, and children born in this period were known as moon children. Let's take a look at Letha's name and origins. I want to start with a slight disclaimer. No one's too sure if ancient Europeans celebrated the summer solstice as an event. There's a lot of debate over its origins, and ultimately, we're just not too sure. However, Letha as a word pops up with the monk-slash-historian Bede in the 700s, who I mentioned in the last episode which covered Beltane. Now, according to him, it isn't the name of a particular holiday, Letha, but rather the Anglo-Saxon name of June and July combined. This combination came from the Germanic calendar, whereby the year was divided into sixths, rather than our current form of twelve. These 60-day periods were called tides, and Letha governed the summer tide. Now, Bede also says that Letha means, quote, gentle or navigable, as breezes are gentle and the sea is smooth. And fun little fact, Tolkien added Letha as the name of the midsummer holiday that the hobbits celebrated, and Tolkien was inspired by Bede. Now, Letha as a word didn't become associated with the festival until the 1970s, 
when Aid and Kelly associated it with the day. For more information on this, I spoke about it in the Beltane episode. In Wales, the day was known as Gathering Day, as it was a very potent time to gather medicinal and magical herbs, particularly St. John's Wort, a saint whose birth is honoured on this day. For more information about this plant, check out my St. John's Wort episode. And a common folk charm around this plant goes, St. John's Wort doth charm all witches away, if gathered at midnight on the saint's holy day. Any devils and witches have no power to harm, those that gather the plant for a charm. The day was named St. John's Day in an attempt to Christianise it and to draw the pagan elements out of it. Now the Saint's Day falls on the 24th, and it doesn't always align with the solstice, but elements of both have leached into one another over time. Let's have a look at the customs, and there's a lot, and there's a lot of crossovers between Letha and Beltane, one of which is the wheel being set alight and rolled down a hill. A common Letha custom in Wales is where the wheel is prepared, set alight and pushed down the hill. Now, if the wheel extinguished before it reached the bottom, it predicted a bad harvest. But if it stayed alight and kept blazing afterwards, this was a very good sign. And in Dartmoor, if the wheel reached a stream, it was said to bless the community with good luck. Now, throughout Europe, the spoked wheel was one of the most popular symbols representing the sun, and there are records to suggest that this burning wheel ritual was done to represent the sun falling from the sky and rolling along the horizon, taking the bad luck with it. There's also references to other fires as well, whereby three are made, one solely out of clean bones called a bonfire, another out of clean wood called a wake fire, and a third one made from both bones and wood, which is called a St. John's fire. Now, from these, torches would be lit and carried around agricultural lands, tracing the boundaries and performing cattle drives with these bonfires. And on the Isle of Man, fires were lit on the windward side of fields, so the smoke would be blown over them in an attempt to cleanse and protect. And often, these three types of bonfires were lit in the streets. And in London, you actually have these marches that start up these marching watchers to guard against civil disorder. They all wore colourful costumes and they carry pails of fire hanging from poles. Now, over time, these parades grew until there's accounts of 4,000 people joining the marching, followed by Morris dancers and model giants. Now, the concept spreads to other major UK cities before dying out due to religious tensions. Now over in ancient Ireland, we've got evidence to suggest that these fires were lit to honour Anya, who appears to be like a Venus Aphrodite figure, and the cinders from her fires were taken and thrown over the fields as an offering to protect the crops. These fires were lit at sundown on a local hill and tended to well after midnight. There's also evidence to suggest that troublesome weeds were thrown into the fires so as to protect the fields from them. And another interesting custom is whereby a large leaf and stem of Hocus Fian, we're unsure of the translation of this plant, this was gathered and people that the collector saw while they were on their way home were tapped on the shoulder by the plant which would protect them from evil for a year. 
The stem and leaf was then thrown in the fire. Meanwhile, over in ancient Rome, this time was especially important for Vesta and Juno. In the Shetlands, a fire was made from bones, straw, seaweed, feathers, wool, and flowers. And on top of this, a bowl of fish oil was thrown on. The smell must have been horrific, let's be honest, and I'm guessing that that was the intention to ward off harmful spirits. Another thing to bring up is that the ash from lethal fires also held special significance, and they were often used to aid within healing, often mixed with water and drank for internal issues, or poured on wounds to help clean them. Like in Beltane, people also used to leap over the flames. Now, if they blackened the skin, this was a really good omen, and it kind of blessed the individual. It's also thought that traditionally, elders would read the flames and decipher any messages held within them. Now, by 1900, the custom of bonfires were largely abandoned, and where they survived, they were no longer viewed for their potent magic. They were lit for fun and for games. Now, a revival has happened in Cornwall, whereby the fire is lit, a Christian blessing is uttered in Cornwall's Gaelic language, and then wildflowers are thrown into the fire as symbols of prosperity. In St. Clair, also in Cornwall, a witch's broom and hat are also burnt to ward against evil. Now, looking at the records, the fires held to honour Letha seem to be far more important than the fires held in Beltane. And if you want more ideas of working with fire magically, you could check out my episode, Elemental Witchcraft, Fire Magic. Let's look into the plant law surrounding Letha, because the day and the association with botanicals is recognised from Scandinavia down to Northern Africa. Now, strengthening and protecting doorways, it seems to be of importance during this festival. There's accounts of them being decorated with green birch, long fennel, St. John's wort, orpin, and white lilies, to name a few, as well as maypoles. Maypoles heavily feature in Letha and are decked with plants and botanicals, particularly in Wales, where we've also got these accounts of rival villagers attempting to steal each other's maypoles. Now, this escalates so much so that we've got reports that armed men are actually guarding against the thieves who obtained reinforcements from Cardiff, so it seems to be a little bit of a community rivalry between the different villagers. It's also really common on this day to gather mistletoe and to weave it into a protective amulet. And I'm actually wondering if this is kind of a tip of the hat to the Norse Balder, the god of light and the summer sun, who was killed with an arrow of mistletoe. We've also got traditions of eating elderberries. This was thought to protect against witchcraft, as the elderflower plant peaks around the summer solstice. There's also a folk belief that looking into the flames of the Letha bonfire through larkspur flowers strengthens eyesight. Headdresses of mugwort and vervain were worn by those who danced around the fire, and once the festivities were over, they'd cast them into the fire while saying, May all my ill luck depart and burn with these. And in Sweden, we've also got accounts of fungi being thrown into the fire to limit the power of trolls, who actually peak in their strength around this time because of their mountain dwellings opening up and them pouring forth alongside other malicious spirits. The vein picked on this day could be used to help towards lung complaints and was heavily associated with the festival, 
so much so that Spain actually called the Night of Midsummer the Night of Vervain. Lavender, calendula, mugwort and mistletoe were also said to be especially powerful, if picked and then dipped in the water of seven sacred springs. Folklore also suggests that fern seeds collected on Midsummer have the ability to render a person invisible. Now ferns, they don't have seeds, but rather tiny spores that are very difficult to see, so you can see the sympathetic link there. Harvest a leaf and place it in your shoe to disappear into the background. Similarly, rubbing the spores on your eyelids at midnight was said to allow you to see the fae. Midnight was a very potent time to pick the plants, especially if they contained dew on them. There's a few weird and interesting anecdotes about stones during Letha. They gain quite powerful abilities, so if you're a crystal witch, time to charge them with the sun's energy on this day, and if the crystal can't take that, then the moon is your friend. There's also a custom around Stonehenge on Midsummer that took place around the 12th century, whereby the monolith was washed down and the water used would be poured into baths to heal the sick. There's other strange accounts of stone circles actually coming alive on the night and turning into people who dance till sunrise, whereby they once again turn into stone. Let's take a look at the supernatural elements of the festival, because amongst the Gaelic, Norse and Slavs, three nights of the year were known as spirit nights, i.e. when the veil is thin. Obviously, Samhain, Halloween, is one of them. May Eve was another, and Midsummer Eve was the final, which was reinforced by Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. An anonymous account dated 1723 states that on the day of Letha, the, quote, air is infectious with devils, spirits, ghosts, and hobgoblins. We've also got the belief that mist forming around the ancient barrows in Ireland was a really potent sign, and if there was a gap in the mist, it was said you could cross into the realm of the Fae. The Irish also had a custom whereby they believed that people's souls would leave their bodies on the night of midsummer, and travel to the place where death should sever them from their lives. Therefore, it kind of makes sense that we've got these fires going throughout the night to help people stay up during the night to ward against this. And we've also got other accounts around this time that kind of back this up as well, because over in England, we've got people fasting and staying up all night in the church's porch, so they could see spirits of those who would come to die within the next 12 months. We've got a story of how a man fell asleep while doing so, and was in such a deep state of sleep that he wasn't able to be stirred and therefore those with him concluded that his spirit must be in the churchyard, ergo he will die in the next year. It seems in some areas to sleep on this night, it allows for some soul wandering. And these night-long vigils were very important, and in the 16th century, in London, great tables were laid with food and neighbours were invited to eat throughout the night. And this event, it was seen as a time to bury the hatchet if there was trouble between neighbours, and to generally foster goodwill. Down in Jersey, as late as the 1970s, there's accounts of horns and conch shells being blown to banish evil spirits, in what was called Le Con La Saint John. And in other parts of England, bonfires were lit the night before in what was known as setting the watch, so as to ward evil spirits away from the village. Looking at the customs and practices, 
It's quite easy to pick up that there was a lot of agricultural anxieties within the festival of Letha, and this is understandable when you consider the timing. Late June precedes the season when crops would be vulnerable to weather or blight, and livestock was at risk of disease. In the months after, insect populations boom, increasing the risk of humans contracting diseases. So it makes perfect sense that we see ritualistic behaviour toward against these threats. Ultimately, Letha is a powerful symbol of summer, light, growth and prosperity. It was a time when merrymaking and gathering was at the top of the agenda. It was a time to celebrate, and was also one of the last festivals to do so before the colder months begin to descend. Celebrate, go out and have fun, and even if you are at a barbecue, just notice and acknowledge that this is our modern equivalent of eating around a fire and celebrating. We've been doing this for eons, and we're very good at it. It's also a time to honour and acknowledge your achievements, talent, power, and your ability to adapt and perform in this increasingly stressful world. Take your foot off the gas to not only bask in the sun, weather permitting and speaking as a vitamin D deficient British person, but also who you are as an individual. Today, it's common for people to gather around Stonehenge and to watch the sunshine hit the central altar. In New York, a massive party is thrown in Battery Park, and the day is still cherished in Scandi countries, where people gather around a maypole called My Stong, or Midsummer Stong. The Irish Environmental Protection Agency actually has exemptions for lighting fires on the summer solstice, and it is the perfect day to watch sunrise or sunset. And that is a wrap for today's show. I will return on the 19th of July, so please subscribe wherever you listen to be notified about this episode, and you can follow on the socials at the Majors Well. But before I go, the poem this week is called To the Sun by the German poet Christoph August Tiege, who wrote about the sun as a goddess which is in line with traditional Germanic thinking. Royal Sun of Morning Hail to you in your happiness, hail to you in your splendour. Your golden robe is already flowing, around the hills the forests come alive with birds. All things feel your blessings, the fields sing to you, all things unite in harmony. You listen with delight to the merry forest. Oh listen to me, hear my praise too. Great goddess, I welcome you, into my solitude, with a joyful song. The first full-blown rose glows in the caress of your rays awakening me from my dreams. With a brilliant face I stand in your radiance, your smile warms the world like divinity, your clearness illuminating, delirium here, truth there, more tolerant than humanity. Your overflowing godhood illuminates my stillness, like the pageantry in the halls of princes. May you be sung, sung loudly, Gently praised by the tongues of every hill, of every valley. Peace out, witches, and I'll see you at the crossroads.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.